Hello, and welcome to the Government Digital Service Podcast, and the first one of the decade. My name is Laura Stevens, and for regular listeners of the podcast, I now have a new job title as Creative Content Producer here at GDS. And for the first podcast of 2020, we're going to be speaking about accessibility. Everybody has to interact with government. People cannot shop around and go to different providers, so there's an obligation for government to make its services as accessible as possible. At GDS, accessibility is considered in everything we do. It's one of our design principles. We publish accessibility guidance on gov.uk, and we want to make sure there are no barriers preventing someone from using something. And to tell us more about accessibility at GDS, I have Rihanna Fry and Chris Heathcote. Please could you both introduce yourselves and what you do here at GDS? So Rihanna first. Yeah, so I'm Rihanna and I am a senior campaign manager here at GDS. So my job is uh, helping to tell more people about all the great stuff that GDS does. And one of the main things at the moment is accessibility. And Chris? Uh, Hi, I'm Chris Heathcote. I'm a product manager and designer at GDS. Um, So I'm running the team that will be monitoring websites for accessibility going forward. Yes, and there'll be more on that later in the podcast. <laughs> um, so I just thought um, a good place to start, because as I mentioned, GDS has to design for everyone. So to give a sort of sense of the needs of the population we're designing for, I have a few statements for you both, um, and I'm going to ask you whether they're true or false. Okay, so true or false? 12 million people in the UK have some kind of hearing loss. True. That sounds true. It is true. Second statement? 6.4 million people in the UK have dyslexia. That sounds true as well. Yeah, it does. It is true as well. And thirdly, two million people in the UK have significant sight loss. True. At least two million, I'd have thought, yes. Yes, you are correct. They are all true. Do we, <laughs> win, do we win something? I'm, I'm afraid I didn't bring a prize and now I'm being shamed. Right, I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> um, but all these stats are from the GDS um, Accessibility Empathy Lab. Um, and this is a space at GDS which helps raise awareness about accessibility and also is an assistive technology testing space. And there's another poster in the lab um, that says that when you design services, you need to think about permanent, temporary, and situational accessibility needs. Um, What does that mean? So I think um, I'll touch on uh, situational accessibility needs. So for me, that was one of the most sort of light bulb moments Mm -hmm. when I came to work on this project with Chris and the rest of the team. So often when we talk about accessibility I think a lot of people naturally think about disabilities that people might have Mm -hmm. like motor disabilities or uh, sight impairments for example but obviously at some point um, that we're in situations that prevent us from being able to use digital services perhaps in the way that they're initially intended so if you just think about social media so my background's in digital marketing so thinking about videos obviously captions are massive and subtitles for videos because when you're on the tube uh, you can't always hear what you're listening to yeah. um, so thinking about those kind of things was really sort of key for me you know when we build things or create content we want as many people to see and use these things as possible so considering all the the factors that may prevent people from using something in one way Mm -hmm. I think that's what it's about yeah I mean at GDS we've always considered that wherever there's a web browser people will try and use that to interact with government Um, so right from the start we saw people doing passport applications on their PlayStation and you know we've seen really yeah and so we've seen (laughs) Uh, mobiles, you know, are now more than 50% of, of yep. traffic often. Um, and so we, what we, you know, accessibility is just one way to make sure that people can always use um, the services and, and the content that we provide. 
Yeah, I think definitely what you're saying about mobiles as well, because I looked up um, Matt Hobbs, who's the head of front-end development at GDS, tweeted about the November 2019 GovDuk stats, and mobile was over 50%. It was 52.86%. Absolutely, yeah. And I guess part of this is also thinking, like, why is it particularly important that government is a leader in accessible services? Um, like, what, why is that so important? I mean, as, as you said at the beginning, um, you know, you don't choose to use government, you have to use government. Um, so you can't go anywhere else. So it, it's our obligation to make sure that, that everything is accessible to everyone. And it does have to be everyone, and especially those with disabilities or, or um, needing to use uh, assistive technology um, tend to have to interact with government more. So um, we do have an obligation for that. And I think if you think about it, these are public services, they're online public services, so they need to be able to be used by the public, not exclusive groups. And I think that's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And sort of on that, leading on from that, I wanted to talk about GDS as leaders in digital accessibility. So at GDS, we've we set up the cross-government accessibility community, the head of accessibility for government sits at GDS, and as mentioned, it's one of our design principles. So we want to design for everyone. And from your work here at GDS, do you have any sort of examples of where GDS has led in accessibility? Um, so, for instance, you were talking there about assistive technology, and I know Gov.uk, there's a lot of work done on Gov.uk to make sure that it works with assistive technology. Yes, I mean, especially as sort of the standards for accessibility um, have, have changed over the last seven, eight years that GDS has existed, um, we've always made sure that um, our code works on everything and for all assistive technology. Um, and also, we may, you know, we've now with the design system made it possible for the all services in government to take that, and, and so they don't have to do the work as well. So, how can people use the design system if they're listening and they don't quite know what the design system is? Um, can you explain it a bit? Yeah. So, I mean, if you go to the um, Gov UK design system site, um, uh, it provides basically uh, all the code you need to make something look and feel like Gov UK. Um, you know, we've always said gov.uk is a single domain for government mm -hmm. um, and that services in central government should look and feel like gov.uk and be linked from gov.uk. Um, and if you use our code, it means you get all the uh, usability and accessibility benefits that we've spent a lot of time and effort to make sure work really well. Um, and you get that basically for free. Yeah, and it's also, I guess, of sharing the, as you're talking about, you're sharing the hard work. So if you're a smaller organisation um, or you don't have that sort of technical capability, you're saying it's already there. We can, you can just Yes, I mean, we saw that every, basically every service in government was spending six months or more, mm. uh, you know, writing code that's basically the same. So that's why the design <laughs> yeah. system exists and um, is so popular. And have you seen any sort of examples of... Well, I think I think you mentioned this near the beginning as well, the Accessibility Empathy Lab. Yeah. So that's sort of a space for people to really experience some of the impairments that people may have and really put them in that space. And I think that really helps to bring things to life because it's really easy to forget or not consider mm -hmm. what some needs might be. Um, and um, I've been along to some of the tours there and it's it's great to see people in all different roles coming from all different kinds of organisations sort of using the different personas that are in that lab to think differently about how web pages should be built and also even you know the words that we use um, and I think um, 
sort of in line with what Chris was saying, there's also the the style guide because we often forget as a communicator, plain English is really important. Mm-hmm. That's like a basic thing yes. that most people know about and practice but don't necessarily consider as being part of accessibility. And I know when I worked at the council, we used the gov.uk style guide as like the basis because we knew that there was a lot of research and it's ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like, Chris said you know it's not just people within GDS that inform this work it's across government and also some some of the wider public sector and there's great communities that are sharing really great work in this space and that all feeds in. No, I think that's really interesting as well what you're saying because you came from a local government background into central government and you were able to use some of those sort of GDS or cross-government tools and you're able to pick them up and use them that's really good. Yeah absolutely yeah. And and you said you mentioned there that a lot of the work in accessibility is not it's not even though a lot of it sits at GDS it's contributed to by people across um, the accessibility community across government we've got a cross-government accessibility community which has more than 1,200 people in the in the Google group um, and are you involved in the community Chris or? um well I, I'm on the on the email and yeah. I will and I respond to questions about accessibility <laughs> monitoring um, yeah I mean it's I think because accessibility cuts across so many different uh, jobs in government, so it isn't just the people that, that do accessibility auditing day in, day out, and, but we now have those across government. Um, but you know, all front-end developers, all designers, um, all user researchers tend to need to know something about accessibility and have questions, and even though they're not um, you know, full-time professionals in this, um, the community's there to help everyone understand what we're looking for and, and, and um, how to uh, consider accessibility in everything they do. And do you think that's sort of been a shift because Rihanna was mentioning like how in the lab it, you get people of all different job titles in and that sort of shift in making accessibility part of everyone's job not just people who have accessibility in their job title like neither of you two have accessibility in your job title for instance. Yeah I mean I think that's been a, a big change like it was with design before and user research um, it isn't just a, a separate specialist even though we need the specialist yeah, 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 to you know do the work um, it's something that everyone has to consider as they do their job um, so we, especially like front-end developers we expect them to be testing their their code um, for accessibility at just as they are doing it, which means that when they do do an audit and a specialist comes in and looks at the site, um, there shouldn't be any surprises. And I think that's one of the... So Richard Morton, who's the interim head of accessibility across government, that's one of the things that he says is that actually the ambition for his role is that there, there won't in the future need to be specialists necessarily because everybody has a, a level of understanding about it obviously that's a long way off and also I guess he doesn't future. want to talk himself out of a job <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and that I mean he does follow it up with that um, but I think I think that's what's really nice about the community is that you have got people so for example uh, the designer that I've worked on um Charlotte with the the campaign for accessibility. Charlotte Downs. Charlotte Downs, yeah. So um, since she's been working on that, she's just sort of, her mind has been blown by all this information that's out there. Um, And she's now a go-to person within GDS for design, um, accessible design, particularly around PDFs. And I think that's the thing, sort of as you sort of get into it, it's really easy to become really passionate about accessibility because it's all about doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And I think particularly within GDS and actually most 
digital based roles I would say it's all about users and accessibility that's what it's all about. I've heard people refer to the PDF mountain in government what does that mean and why is that related to accessibility? I mean right from the start of gov.uk we saw that central government alone was publishing pretty much everything as PDFs. And PDFs vary in quality and vary in accessibility as well. It is possible to make more accessible PDFs. Um, but generally, you know, we've always said things should be web pages, content should be on web pages and in HTML. Um, but And in central government, we've been moderately successful in that. There's still a lot of PDFs being published, but um, we've reduced that, and especially in services, they tend not to use PDFs anymore. Um, so I think the legislation is a good time for, for all public sector organisations to reflect on that um, and see how they can change some of their processes and how they publish information. So changing a mountain into a molehill. Yes, I mean, we, <laughs> I, I think, you know, there will always be some PDFs for certain reasons, but um, the number of PDFs being published should go down. So just thinking about stuff like that, as Chris says, changing processes, is there a reason why we have to have this as a PDF format? Why can't it be HTML? I mean, in, it, it, the campaign, it's, it, it was the same, you know. How do we make the supporter pack in HTML? It doesn't look as pretty, which for creative people might be... Some, like a bone of contention, but ultimately we want people to be able to use it. So creating things and making things available in, in different formats if you have to have a PDF is the right thing to do. Yeah, and I think that's sort of interesting as well with the creative side of things because obviously as government though, you need to make sure it's accessible as possible. And I think Gov.UK like, has won design awards, so it shows that like accessibility doesn't mean that like design goes out the window, not at all. Like I think it was Fast Company put as like the top 10 design of the decades in the 2010s. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, even when we, when we won uh, the Design Museum's Design of the Year yeah. award, um, you know, we were on, we were called boring.com the next day. <laughs> um, but, you know, we have a lot of designers working here in GDS um, and there is an awful lot of design built into it, even though it may look a, a bit plainer than other websites. But that's because we're totally focused on usability and accessibility. There's no point in having a beautiful website if no one can use it. I would just sort of, what I would like to sort of talk about that is how accessible services help everyone. For instance, we have gov.uk content that's now accessible via voice assistance. Um, so I think there's now more than 13,000 pieces of gov.uk content that's available via Google Home or Amazon Alexa. And why is that good for people? Like why, why is that good having these sort of pieces that anyone can access via voice? I mean, there's a, a lot of people that can't use a, a standard computer and a standard web browser. Um, I mean, and, and that ranges from having disabilities through to just not understanding how a computer works and not wanting to understand how a computer works. So being able to access um, government information, if not services yet, uh, just through voice, I think is, re is really important. I was just going to say, personally as well, so... Uh, uh, relative of mine recently um was unwell and lost his sight um and he has an alexa um and so although it was still a difficult transition for him him still being able to access things as soon as he got home really helped yeah um and i think you know like chris said not everyone wants to use a, a, a computer as well yeah, or yeah. if you're sort of 
busy and out and about, sort of that situational side of things. It just makes things more accessible and more available for people, which is great. It's easier, right? Um, Chris, you alluded to this earlier, that the sort of regulations have changed since GDS began. Um, and while accessibility has always been part of GDS's work, there are new regulations that have come in quite recently. And these regulations mean public sector organisations have a legal duty to make sure their websites and apps meet accessibility requirements. And can you tell me a bit about them and sort of what the key dates are with that? And Yes, so um, this is a European-wide um, initiative that started in 2016. Um, it's now UK law um, and uh, any new website that a public sector body makes that's certainly in public needs to be accessible now. Mm-hmm. And they should uh, also publish something called an accessibility statement on their website that says how accessible they are and how to get in contact with them if you find any issues with them. Um, but then the big deadline is uh, 23rd of September 2020, uh, when all public sector websites, old and new, need to be accessible. And how is this related to the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, uh, which I call WACAG, but is that the correct way of yeah. pronouncing that acronym? <laughs> so yeah, the web. Uh, yeah, so WACAG is a W3C um, standard uh, about web content accessibility. Mm. Um, uh, and it's been updated pretty recently to um, version 2.1 and uh, the standard that the legislation and um, we require is um, something called AA. So mm-hmm. there are three three levels of accessibility mentioned in the guidelines, A, AA and AAA. Um, and uh, AA means that there should not be any major blockers to anyone being able to use the website. How, will the regulations apply differently to different parts of the public sector, for instance, central government or to schools or to um, healthcare? Uh, there are some differences. Um, the, the legislation makes some exemptions, mm-hmm. especially uh, there is partial exemptions for schools and nurseries. Yeah. Um, although the way it's written, actually, they're not quite as exempt as you might think okay. um, because a lot of people are doing stuff online and if the online is the only route then that has to be accessible yes um, but uh, generally the exemptions are are quite small I think what's really important as well is that I mean it's this is sort of easy easier for me to say I guess because I work in an organization that really cares about accessibility mm-hmm. and already has accessibility built into a lot of the ways of working but I think for me it's sort of helpful to think about this as an opportunity so I think this creates a really good excuse to educate people about why that's important and also now that there's law behind this uh, that feeds into the Equality Act and I mean that's really important Uh, if you're going to pay to build a website or spend a load of your time creating um, content then you want to make sure that people can access that content or access that service why why would you want to try and get around that because all you're doing is reducing the amount of people that can access it so I think you know although I understand sometimes there are reasons for that like time I think this is about behavior change um, and also education helping people to understand that if you're if you're opening your service up you're reducing costs that may be elsewhere because you're making your website's more efficient and work for people so that they can self-serve. And so do you think that's why um, having an accessibility statement is a really good thing? Because you know how you're saying this is a way of creating behaviour change? By the process of going through and creating an accessibility statement, which is the statement on the website which says, this is why our service is accessible. And it also has to say, if I'm right, 
this isn't accessible, but this is how we're working. Absolutely. Yeah, because Gov.uk has an accessibility statement, doesn't it? Yeah. What we are trying to do is make the sites accessible. So, you know, getting the information together and publishing an accessibility statement is a really good start um, to making sure that the website is accessible and remains accessible as it changes. I I was just going to say, you know, I think that shows a commitment to making a change. I think it's unrealistic to expect all websites overnight to be completely accessible because some of this stuff involves a lot of legacy things and also PDFs, a lot of PDFs. Um, But this is, the as I understand it, and I'm not an expert, so Chris, you might correct me on this, um, but that, that statement's about saying, you know, these areas aren't right, but this is our plan to fix them. Um, and if you can't access information, here's who you need to contact. Yes, and that's an important that. part. You have that, that contact, uh, a name or an email address. And this actually leads me nicely, because this was, uh, we chose to accessibility in January, um, because it was a loose news hook for the podcast, um, that January is when enforcement and reporting um, will begin. Um, and this is quite a big job to undertake. Um, and so, Chris, could you kind of talk to me about this next bit of your, your role? Yeah, so to make sure that uh, people are taking the legislation seriously um, in each country in Europe, so it's not just the UK, um, uh, there is a monitoring body set up. Uh, In the UK, it was decided that GDS would host that, um, and that's the team I'm setting up at the moment. So we have an obligation in in the legislation as well. Um, So we will be monitoring uh, a number of public sector websites. Uh, It's about... In, by 2023, it'll be about 2,000 websites a year. Um, and what we do is most of that will be automated checking using automated accessibility checkers. Uh, but we know that that only covers 30 to 40% of accessibility issues and WCAG points. Um, so we'll be doing a bit of manual checking as well. And, and for a certain number of websites, we have to do a sort of a, a fuller audit that's more like a traditional accessibility audit. And this is done on behalf of the Minister for the Cabinet Office, isn't it? Yes. So, yeah, they're the person that's uh, mentioned in the legislation. Um, and yes, we'll be reporting to them um, about what we find. And when you um, go through these websites, how do you get back in touch with them? Do you create an accessibility report? How does that work? Uh, so, so what we're going to do is, um, from the uh, testing that we do, um, we'll write a report, we'll send that to the public sector organisation and start a conversation with them really about do they understand the report, do they see the same issues that we're seeing and what they're going to do to fix them. Um, and hopefully that's a constructive conversation and we can provide technical support where needed. Yeah, and would you also, I guess, point to some of the stuff on Gov.uk, there's accessibility guidance there as well, would you be using that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean both both the stuff that we publish for central government, um, uh, like the design system and the service manual, um, but also, you know, we, we are looking also for resources around that W3C publish and things like training that, that are starting to happen um, that we can point people to so that, you know, they, they can fix the issues as quickly as possible. Say if a website has been found with accessibility issues, um, what would be uh, a way of enforcing the findings of the report? Uh, so we're working with um, the Equality and Human Rights Commission in uh, England, Wales and Scotland and for Northern Ireland it's the Equality Commission for Northern Ireland. Um, they are actually doing the enforcing on accessibility because it, it falls under the Equality Act. So they've been enforcing accessibility for, for a while and so that's their role. Um, however, we will be enforcing whether they the sites have accessibility statements or not. 
um, because that's an additional thing on top of the Equality Act. So you're going to be very busy over the next year and onwards from there? Yes, I mean, it's never ending. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, we're recruiting at the moment the audit team. Are you giving a plug on the podcast if anyone's listening and they want to apply? <laughs> well, we will, we will certainly have some roles uh, opening <laughs> over the next year. And how will you find this sample of websites, or do we not know this yet? Uh, we've spent uh, quite a while coming up with a list of what is the public sector and isn't, yes. and also what websites they have. Um, there's another team in GDS called the Domain Management Team, um, who have also been trying to look at uh, what websites government runs and what the public sector runs. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're more tasked with making sure that the domains remain secure um, and are being used properly. Um, but you know, this list hasn't existed before. Um, so we've also approached it. We've create, we've gathered lots of open data that government publishes um, around public sector organisations, um, and we're using that to create a sort of a master list of the public sector that we will then sample against. Brianna, you actually um, mentioned this earlier, and I know you've joined GDS relatively recently um, in the summer of last year. Um, and you, sometimes I think. Um, Accessibility can be landed on a person, one person in an organisation, and that it can feel quite overwhelming when suddenly there are regulations that people need to, and they need to have learned a lot of knowledge quite quickly. How did you find that when you joined and you were given the accessibility campaign to manage? When you had to learn all this information, what did you find that was helpful or how did you find that process? Well, I think I've been really lucky uh, in that I was surrounded by experts um, at GDS and also there is so much information on gov.uk and I mean, that's not a plug, it's true. (laughs) Um, And so, like I said before, Charlotte Downs, for example, um, she... When, she, when we started working on this together, she did a load of research on different things because, I mean, even once you know it, even once you've uh, been through some training on how to create an accessible document, when you're knocking together a document, it's really easy to forget. Like I said, it's behaviour change. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's about... Uh, checking in with other people and asking other people to just check over content Mm -hmm. you know I remember when I first started working on this project and I sent out a survey and I made an assumption that it was accessible and it wasn't um and and that was a survey about accessibility it was yeah I mean it was a steep learning curve uh thankfully it was only live for about two minutes before I noticed um and me and Richard then worked together on some stuff but I think that's what it's about. It's about asking people to check in. And, you know, it, things aren't always going to be perfect, um, but that's why it helps to be part of communities so that you've kind of got constructive yes. friends that can give you constructive feedback on how you can improve what you're doing. Um, so I think, yeah, it's about seeing what's out there and speaking to people and asking people to for feedback on, on what you're doing. And I know we mentioned before, like the communities are very active, the blob has very active, but also, so you're running the campaign for accessibility. We've had 75,000 visits to the gov.uk guidance since August 2019 and you've also created a campaigns pack and is that for people who who's that for so that's for supporters so for us as Chris said there this is a massive job and there are so many organizations that need to know about this um, and the people that are potentially responsible for managing a public sector website aren't necessarily in digital roles they're not necessarily people that GDS are talking to or aware of so if you think about things like GP surgeries for example they fall into 
the remit of public sector um now my GP surgery definitely doesn't have a digital team. Um, so uh, the po- point of the supporter pack is to try and get, especially central government teams on board, their engagement and communications teams on board and talking to people about the regulations. So we're trying to make it easier by bringing that information into one place, which is also the point of the campaign page. So we've tried to break it down into four steps. So um signposting people to guidance that will help them to understand whether or not they're going to be impacted believe it or not some people aren't sure whether or not they're classed as a public sector organization mm-hmm. um then secondly deciding how to check the accessibility of their websites then making a plan to fix any problems and lastly publishing an accessibility statement which really summarizes the findings um and the plans to fix any issues and you're saying that this is all in one place. Where is that place? So it's on gov.uk forward slash accessibility hyphen regulations. So if so, if I'm from the public sector, I can go there and I can just absolutely yeah. It's an open uh, yeah. web web page, and I'm I mean my information's on the support pack. So if there are any campaign people out there that want to talk to me, and then I'm more than happy to share any additional resources that we've got that we're using internally and whatever else. And do you have any sort of top tips um, or from your work you've done and sort of starting this this work on accessibility? Are there any sort of things that where you've spoken to other organisations you've been like, oh, that's a good thing to share, any best practice or anything like that? I mean, I think the, the it isn't just a it isn't just a single thing that people need to do. Um, you know, we we understand that people have websites and they might need to retrofit some accessibility onto that. But it is really about changing processes. So especially when we talk to people like local authorities, um, the number of people that publish on the website is quite large and it's educating them to know how to make good PDFs, how to write well, how to how generally how accessibility of content works and making sure there's a process to make sure that that happens. Um, that needs to be put in place as much as actually fixing the website and the technical aspects of accessibility. And I think education is really important. So I think what helps is to tell uh, help m- colleagues across organisations to understand why they need to do certain things. And I think it helps that people that people have awareness of the Equality Act um, and understand when something is law. Um, so I think that helps. And I would say to try and use that um, to um, yeah really educate people and try and get people on board internally. So as a closing segment, I thought it might be nice to ask both of you um, if there's something that particularly motivates you to work in accessibility, if there's something you've come across in your work um, that's made a real um, impact on you um, and sort of galvanised you to keep going on this. I mean, I think we, what we see is when we talk to users and we talk to users all the time um, is it gives people independence. Uh, people can do things for themselves. They can self-serve. They can see the content on GovUK. And it's, it's something that they've, you know, moving digitally has actually changed people's lives. Yeah, I think I'd echo that, you know, and it's important that organisations know about the regulations. So supporting those really hardworking digital colleagues that spend a load of time researching what what works for users and a load of time trying to tell other people how to, you know, why PDF shouldn't be used. So I think for me, um, that's really important. And also just, you know, that light bulb, seeing that light bulb moment of people going, oh God, yeah, 
we really should be doing this um, and being able to signpost them to the tools to be able to kind of put it into action. So thank you to Rihanna and thank you to Chris for coming on the podcast today. I hope you've enjoyed being on the GDS podcast, a first for both of you. Yeah. yeah. Thanks yeah, for having thanks us. Thanks for having us. And thank you for choosing accessibility to be your first podcast of the decade. Why Not just you... the year, the decade. <laughs> I mean, it feels like it's really significant. This is going to be a podcast that people remember. And so, yeah, you can listen to all the episodes of the Government Digital Service podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. And the transcripts are available on Podbean. So thank you both again and goodbye. Thanks. Bye.